1: The sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation, and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night.
2: I feel like who are Ed? let to slice Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and joining me today, I have Rebecca potts Aguirre, the host of Teaching Artist Podcast, a, a fellow art teacher, and an art maker just doing all the things these days. Thank you for finding time to do this thing and join me on the podcast.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me.
2: Um, I appreciate your willing to step in. I had a last minute cancellation and I I asked you because I have been listening to you for a while and I highly recommend the Teaching Artist Podcast to anybody who's listening. I knew that you just seemed like the nicest person to reach out and ask an imp- imposition of. <laughs> um, and I appreciate that you're willing to join me to talk about Cause today, who I know you like, I kind of have mixed feelings and mixed reactions about. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So to get into into cause and his background, because just like on your podcast, I like to start with a little bit of context and the backstory. He was born November fourth, nineteen seventy four, in Jersey City, New Jersey, and his. His progression seems like very direct. Like I've, I've read that as a child, he was kind of inspired by the graffiti around him and would draw on paper like his own renditions of the great graffiti he saw in the community. And mm-hmm. his friends liked it. And I mean, you know, like I do just as that kid, that's kind of that first bit of validation is your friends and classmates like it and want you them mm-hmm. to draw it for you and stuff like that. Or draw it for them, and so then he continued with that love of graffiti. Nineteen nineties, he adopted the name Cause, which he just says he liked the way the letters looked together. I always find that weird when you say like your name has no deep meaning.
3: Yeah, <laughs> very <laughs> <I> mean, strange.
2: <laughs> well, it's it's the first point where I like take a time pause for a timeout in that biography because like Cause just. Phonetically, I think there's a cause behind theirs. There's a purpose, <laughs> you know. And mm-hmm. just knowing him, like I, I also see the association almost like Klaus or something because I, I, think he was mm-hmm. a big fan of Klaus Oldenburg um, and other artists in the pop art movement and stuff like that. Which, looking at his work, no real shock there. Mm-hmm. But he adopted the the name Cause, started doing tagging and other other graffiti. He goes to school, gets a BFA from the School of Visual Arts in New York, and he became a freelance animator. Um, I guess he worked with Jumbo Pictures, and he did some animation, like painting backgrounds and stuff for Disney, like 101 Dalmatians and uh, Doug, which was one of my favorite cartoons as a child. And I guess Daria also, which is again tracking with my backstory and my love of cartoons and animation as a child. What I find really interesting about that, though, is like Doug and Daria at first glance seem like such different pieces tonally.
3: Are you familiar with those cartoons? Yeah, yeah, I totally grew up then too, so <laughs> grew up with those.
2: Yeah, and, you know, for listeners who are not familiar, Doug is, you know, this cartoon that was just very earnest in its depiction of like a I think he was a fourth grader um and just looking at the world through the eyes of that child and and just very very sweet and wholesome and Daria was extremely popular on MTV and I guess again it was life through the lens of the child You know, I mean, but an Mm -hmm. older child, a teenager. So it was extremely sarcastic and all the adults knew nothing, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, so cynical, so angsty.
2: So cynical and so angst yeah. And (laughs) and so much in a way that like as a teenager, I remember looking at it and thinking like, wow, this is really insightful. And and it's it's funny because it really captured that lens of a teenager's worldview where the show, to me, felt like it thought it was smarter than it was. You know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It was like this ego and cynicism and sarcasm that, like, it, it was just, I don't know, missing the boat in some ways, but mm-hmm. in another level, almost like perfect for that teenage mindset.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and so... While he's doing that as his day job to pay the bills, he's also making graffiti at night. And mostly what's often referred to as subvertisements, um, you know, he's doing things that are a little bit subversive, but based on pop culture and the the um, sort of commercial stuff like the billboard ads and the ads on bus shelters and all, all those things you see all around. He's doing basically spoofs or parodies of those and I, I think what's interesting is, like, we see that story play out from so many artists. The most common, you know, connections that people would draw would be like Keith Haring and Jean-Michel Basquiat, who both got their starts as street artists, as graffiti artists, and then made the their way into the quote-unquote fine art world. Um, I guess Cause kind of started with... I think he was big in Japan at first with the, the toys that he was making. Am I mm-hmm. right in that?
3: Yeah, I was reading something that he he got in somehow. He was traveling to Japan just because he liked it. And he got in somehow with a, a toy maker there. And yeah, that that kind of the marketability of those toys um, helped him get into galleries because they were basically like, we can sell this.
2: Yeah, and I mean, in I, I feel like Japan has a really strong pop art connection in a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Like I, I think of Takashi Murakami um, with the the super flat and and the way that pop culture is elevated and mass produced, and there's that that blurring of the lines that I I actually personally really like about artists is when we cross the borders that seem really arbitrary distinguishing between the quote unquote high and low, the what's good for the gallery and what's good for the, the teenagers poster in their bedroom. Um, I don't think art should necessarily be rigidly categorized. And we see that in a, in Japan quite a bit, there's a long tradition. Well, I mean, second half of the 20th century is long enough, long, long by my standards um of breaking down those barriers and embracing the pop culture. And so since then he's really just been doing a lot of stuff that is getting more and more acclaim in the gallery context and and he's working with you know, fashion designers and toy manufacturers, but also doing like monumental sculptures and things for the museum. He's making paintings that are selling for, you know, seven or eight figures, which to me just seems mind boggling. Yeah. His most iconic figure is probably his, um, you know, his rendition of Mickey Mouse with the X's for the eyes and the bones replacing the ears. And those are kind of common symbols and marks that he makes across his figures that's part of his style whether it's spongebob or mickey mouse or homer simpson he's putting x's on the eyes that's one of the the hallmarks of his style that helps to make it recognizable as his signature work and not just a copy of those pop culture icons and i think in this one because the biography is relatively short i mean the guy is only like 45 years old, and he, did, he didn't take like a winding path to becoming an artist. I mean, from the time he was a child, he liked street art. And then he started making street art and became celebrated for it. Um, I do think it's worth talking about the art market. And I would love to hear your thoughts and insights on this. But one of the things that I have noticed is his... Work seems to be selling for what to me seem like insane prices. Um, his his highest um, highest grossing piece, I guess, would be the Cause album. It was estimated, Wild. <laughs> it was expected to sell for a million dollars, which to me seems like a very very large price, um, but. It ended up on auction, fetching fourteen point eight million dollars. And the piece is his version of the Simpsons version of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's album cover. It, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. But mm-hmm. what what do you think about it?
3: Yeah, I mean that piece especially. I I mean. It's like layer upon layer of appropriation and (laughs) that price tag is, yeah, I agree. Totally mind boggling. And I mean, I guess I see he's somehow he's got this like appeal to he's worked with several celebrities and a lot of big brands. And that, that I think that is what pushes the price tag up so much that there's this like somehow he has this reputation and it's one of those weird things about the art market where like the art can be not so good and still sell for 14.8 million (laughs) dollars because of the artist's reputation
2: (laughs) yeah an artist's reputation is an interesting thing because you know in the art world there's traditionally there were certain gatekeepers you know whether it was the curators in the museums and other things that like basically stamp it as okay. And that's why mm-hmm. you know Jackson Pollock stumbling around a, a canvas on the floor of his barn and spilling paint on it, people will pay millions of dollars for it because people said, "Oh no, no, no. That's that's not, you know, an accidental spill. He purposefully spilled it on the canvas and it was brilliant and groundbreaking." And in some ways cause has had those stamps of validity, even though arguably he's doing something that is not quote unquote highbrow or sophisticated. He's basing it off of SpongeBob, or in this case, the Simpsons who are referencing the Beatles. And yet he, you know, he has been recognized as good at what he does. And so people just don't question it. Um, One of the other odd things that I always find about like the contemporary art market is I always used to think that, you know, the old adage was when an artist dies, their work becomes much more valuable because now there's going to be no new stuff that's produced. Mm -hmm. But the art market has become very much a vehicle for like just insanely wealthy people to park their money and then Mm -hmm. to you know trade amongst themselves and um it it almost becomes like this weird commodity that is used as an investment vehicle Mm -hmm. and because of that and Cause himself has said he finds this a little bit ridiculous that like his, he doesn't think his worth, his work is worth that much. Hmm. Um, so I agree with him on that uh, <laughs> because I don't, I don't think any painting on canvas is worth $15 million. Like just, I I, I don't see it. Like I, I think it's, I, I appreciate what he did in a lot of ways, but What's interesting is in that mode with, you know, people using art as an investment tool, um, I guess there's a bias towards contemporary art. And we're seeing contemporary art becoming much more valuable because of the fact that you can't really forge it as easily. And you might think like, well, it seems pretty easy to forge a cartoon drawing, um, and arguably it is, except for the fact that the artist who created it is living and able to say, "No, I didn't make that copy of The Simpsons. I made this copy of The Simpsons," mm-hmm. and you know it's easier to track the the ownership and everything like that. So. Like I, I think of the another just insanely overpriced artwork. Do you remember Salvador Mundi?
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: The Yeah, the Da Vinci piece that sold for what was it, four hundred million dollars? Something like that.
3: Insane, yeah. Some wild number.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it set all sorts of records and made headlines um maybe two years ago. And the reason that it made headlines was not just the price tag, but the fact that a lot of people say it wasn't actually painted by Da Vinci. And the fact that Mm. that's called into question could make that one of the biggest financial blunders of all time, because someone paid almost half a billion dollars for it, and it may not be the real deal. Mm. And, you know, like it or not, stuff that's more contemporary, even if the artist has passed away, like a Basquiat or Keith Haring or someone like that, because it's in the modern era, there's much better record keeping of all of that stuff, and it's much easier to authenticate it. But I do want to get more into the specific artwork and not just a cold, cynical look at the art market as it stands today, because I think... Cause is doing some stuff that is interesting. And you said it's appropriation upon appropriation. And for listeners not familiar with the term appropriation is what we talk about when we say like an artist is claiming something from the outside world and taking it as their own and using it as a symbol in their work. Um, often, most often it's talked about in that negative context of cultural appropriation. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, I feel like I'm bullying the conversation. I don't want to be mansplaining to you, Um, but can you share with our listeners, like, what are we talking about when we talk about cultural appropriation? Because that's also a sensitive topic and a hot topic that we should Mm -hmm. probably discuss a little bit.
3: Yeah. So that's usually when someone who's not from a culture takes something from, from a different culture and kind of uses it as their own or, you know, puts it puts it, you know, as an artist could be putting it in their work with no context and, um, you know, maybe I'm making a dream catcher, for instance, that's kind of a popular one. And, um, as a not indigenous person, I'm making this dream catcher and saying like, oh, isn't this pretty, I'm going to hang it in my window and having no sort of context around what the use or the history or, you know, why, why am I making this thing? Um,
2: Yeah, and I I think the key thing that you talked about there was the context because Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between, you know, what we talk about as appreciating another culture Mm -hmm. and appropriating a culture. I think of, you know, I appreciate work from all sorts of different cultures and I learn from those works and and I integrate some of those strategies that I learn from different artists from all all parts of the world into Mm -hmm. my own work, but I don't pretend that my creation is the same as what they did and has the same significance to it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's important to be mindful of when the context shifts and when something is inspired by something um, but takes on a new meaning because of who's producing it and what their intentions are and all of that sort of stuff.
3: Yeah, there's an example... You know, you talked about context, and um, I think you said, like taking sort of parts of something. Um, and I feel like there's you can you can learn from and be inspired by something by taking maybe one technique that this artist used or one thinking about the theme that they're working with, like instead of you know making those sugar skulls instead yeah. of actually like creating, replicating what those artists are creating. Thinking about the theme, thinking about like honoring the dead or, you know, whatever it is that thematically is in that work is maybe a way to shift away from that appropriation.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because as artists, we are constantly influenced by the things around us, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't become your own work of art until you put your own creative spin on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the difference between inspiration and appropriation. And that's part of the controversy that has landed cause in some hot water in some circles. Not so much with like quote unquote cultural appropriation, but like getting back to the cause album, you know, mm-hmm. as you said, it's appropriation on top of appropriation on top of appropriation. And it's, it's not problematic from like the the racial lens, the way that the way that the examples of, you know, the sugar skulls or the the way that sometimes mandalas are reduced to radial symmetry and stuff like that. But mm. what he's doing there is he he made his like almost straight up copy of the Simpsons parody of um the Beatles Sgt. Pepper's album cover.
1: On Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long.
2: The only real significant difference is he did his stylistic shift of putting the X's on the eyes and the bones coming out of the head, which in some ways is probably also a nod to The Simpsons because now that I'm thinking about it, Sideshow Mel has the bone coming out of his hair. Um, but as we look at this piece, cause I do want to do a little bit of a, more of a dive, like what are you seeing in here and what's jumping out at you for better or worse? What, what, what do you see here?
3: Well, I mean, one thing that a positive with Koss is, um, I read something about him, like someone termed him as like a great colorist. And I was like, I kind of have to agree. He's, I don't want to agree, <laughs> but he's, uh, his colors. And I feel like in this piece, it do, it's not as, like, I'm not as drawn to the way he's using color as in some of his other work. Um, and maybe that's partly because it's, like, almost a direct copy. Um, he's kind of using the colors that the Simpsons creators used. Um, but... Yeah, this there's there's that element of color and then just like the flatness of of each sort of shape. Um, I mean, I feel like that goes back to his, his background where he got his start in both graffiti and in like illustration, sort of like the backgrounds for, for animation. Um you see that stuff coming through. Um, but I also feel like the the controversy, like I almost want to say he intentionally created this controversy. And that's a big part of why the price tag was so high.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I think um, there's no shortage of artists who seek attention and who court controversy. Yeah. And I think <laughs> in some ways, even the idea of doing like a straight up copy of some, someone else's work feels like it's been done you know what i mean like mm-hmm. we we've seen plenty of of people who are are taking found images and stuff i mean andy warhol was doing that for you know decades that, um in a different way
0: mm-hmm. and
2: in in this piece the cause album i think part of what he's doing is playing off of people's love of pop culture i mean it's i don't think it's an accident that he chose the simpsons it's one of the longest running series of all time, and you know, is beloved around the world. And so, right off the bat, he's taking a subject matter that's going to be a tu- a cultural touchstone. And again, it's referencing another act that was one of the biggest of all time. I mean, the the Beatles mm-hmm. were legendary um. And so he's he's taking essentially two really major pop cultural icons and synthesizing them and then just putting his own minimal marks on there um, in order to, to gain that, that attention. It kind of reminds me of when book publishers will take a popular cartoon show and then just be like, "Well, oh, here's the book version of it. <laughs> Because they they know an audience will buy it just for that reason, mm-hmm.
3: um, as evidenced by the millions of frozen things in my home. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah. As as a parent who has to read those books, I'm I'm sometimes pained by it because they're not they're not always as interesting as the books that are created for the sake of being a book. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of feel that way about this piece. And so if you'll mm-hmm. indulge me, I want to talk a little bit about a second piece of his because you mm-hmm. you said you have to grudgingly admit he's a good colorist. And are are you on the slides right now? Yeah. Yeah. So do you see that yeah. second one? The the things yeah. that comfort from 2015. Mm-hmm. And that's a silk screen on paper. And I think this is an example of the work that I find much more interesting. I, I mm-hmm. like the Cause album because it gives us that insight into sort of the art world and the art market and what things – what buttons p- artists will push in order to gain attention and to to gain acceptance into that market. And, and I, I don't even necessarily begrudge someone that because I think there's a legit skill involved in reading the room and reading the market and understanding what people will respond to. Mm-hmm. But as a work of visual art I find this more interesting and so I'd like to take just a few minutes to talk about this one the things that comfort from 2015 it's a silk screen what are you seeing here what's jumping out at you?
3: yeah just his his colors like this is one that um I'm not sure I would actually want this <laughs> hanging on my wall but I would perf- if I had to choose between the two of them this one is highly preferable because it is a little more minimal it is you know just the the colors again um like that mix of there's the like neons in there that just play perfectly with that deeper purple and his yeah his use of color his even his use of line like I feel like these sort of outlines that are in here on the you know around the body the arms the legs um almost like reference his graffiti background a little bit um yeah this one's much more interesting to me and it the the simpsons so the thinking of the cause album um there were i saw a bunch of paintings he did i think were much smaller that were like very minimal just taking like a piece of like the simpsons hair so it would be like a a flat background and like part of Marge's hair and then part of like Bart's hair. Um, and those also, those were much more interesting to me, just these very minimal like color studies almost. Um, I feel like this one that we're looking at now, the things that comfort is somewhere in between there.
2: Yeah. And I think what's, what's interesting as you talk about those, those smaller scale studies, I was reminded when I've looked at his body of work of those like close cropped things, it feels Mm -hmm. like a very modern approach. And when I say modern, I'm talking in the art history sense, meaning like a hundred years ago, um, because artists and art historians and critics use words in ways that make no sense to most people. (laughs) When we talk about the modern art period, we're talking about like early to mid 20th century. And in that time, part of the idea of abstract art was focusing in on small details and removing a lot of context. Like, I mean, that's what Georgia O'Keeffe was doing in a lot of her work was taking those macro shots, blowing them up so that we see these tiny little things that are often unnoticed and cause is doing that in a way that becomes a little bit more contemporary with the color scheme that he's using, the way he flattens things, the way he plays with the fluorescence, as you talked about. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's one of the things that when I look at Cause's work, part of the reason that I wanted to talk about two pieces is because I felt like I couldn't ignore the cause album that grabbed so much attention but i also wanted to talk more about the stuff that that shows like he does more than just copy and mm-hmm. with this one i see a silhouette that to me rec- i recognize as like the snoopy silhouette but mm-hmm. within that silhouette it's this abstraction that's completely different the way the colors shift as you talked about the strong line work It in some ways reminds me of like Ramiro Briteau, another Mm -hmm. contemporary artist who does things with pop culture, but also bringing in a Cubist influence. And here I see a little bit of almost like mixed perspective and simplification of of the the forms Mm -hmm. and, and all of that. That becomes a little bit more interesting to me because I feel like, and again, it's appropriation upon appropriation. It's Mm -hmm. referencing all of these styles that have come before, but here it feels like he's mixed it up in a way that's new. And -hmm. I think that's what a lot of our current culture is. It's a remix culture, you know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're building off the ideas of people who came before us I mean that's what culture always is, but I think I think lately it's become almost amped up by the mass media and and all of that, and the fact that it's really hard to imagine anything that hasn't been done before at this point.
3: You yeah, know? and where contemporary art is, you know, where we are now with art, there's there's not like one movement. Like we went yeah. from art historically to. From, you know, there's the impressionists and if you live in this time, you are an impressionist. And then there's, you know, whatever like movement that exists at the moment is the one big movement. And there might be one or two little like subverting movements. But now there's, I mean, I can't even name all the different sort of movements that are happening. There's so many things going on and so much like referencing what's come before.
2: Yeah. And I I think in some ways, it's really interesting and and exciting Mm -hmm. that now we're not limited to that sort of homogenizing effect of Mm -hmm. cultural gatekeepers saying like, this is what's in vogue right now. This is what's in fashion because the internet is democratizing and I'm getting way too much into the art speak as I'm conjugating (laughs) nouns. But um, I think... People's different perspectives are being elevated Mm -hmm. and they're accessible to everybody. And, you know, we see things like Instagram opening the doors so that everybody can see those different artists. And, you know, through other social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter or YouTube, like all of the all those artists have a direct channel to their audience. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the audience has a direct channel to them. Cause is on Instagram and he is bringing his art to the masses and I think it is interesting that he is bringing these things together in a way that is deliberate that that works very well aesthetically I mean he shows some restraint with the way that he has the the clean white background like with all of those colors he recognizes that it needs that that neutral, the white space to create that counterbalance, to create that contrast, to give the eye a place to rest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I I think I think in a lot of ways he is a very strong visual artist and I I I just keep going back and forth on on where I land on on his work, whether I yeah. like it or hate it, and I I feel like it's a little bit of both depending on the piece.
3: Yeah, I so I watched a a couple of videos with him and I was the same. I was like I love the colors. I feel like there is a lot he's referencing so many things. There is a lot of meaning. Like he makes now also these giant sculptures and there was a series of sculptures that I loved that were I think called like holiday or vacation something like that where he's basically putting these giant sculptures with the x's on their eyes like Mm -hmm. out in the landscape so then they become sort of this like land art um lounging like you know a 30 foot mickey mouse figure lounging on a mountain (laughs) you know and Um, i want
2: to i want to live in a world that has that you know? Right.
3: But then what killed me was he kept saying like, there's no meaning. There's no, I, I don't have any intentions with this. I just wake up and do what I want to do that day. And I'm like, no, you don't. Is that just your shtick? Is that what sells? Like clearly there's meaning and there's thought behind this. <laughs> yeah.
2: But at the same time, I think, you know, the We've had iterations of that thought expressed by a number of people talking about like art for art's sake and sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, telling people to just enjoy the sensory experience and just, mm-hmm. you know, see the cartoon figure lounging on a mountain and say like, that's just fun. And mm-hmm. honestly, as I, as I look at the world today, I kind of think fun and enjoyment is a good enough purpose. And in some ways, mm-hmm. I think it's a better purpose than a lot of stuff that's supposedly so deep and meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I could see making the argument that like, I don't want to deconstruct the piece so much that it robs it of that fun because the primary goal... Is to spark that joy.
3: He never even says that. <laughs> like, <laughs> just say instead of saying "there's no meaning," say like "it's just fun." You know. Yeah,
2: fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Um, I I guess I'm I guess I'm channeling a little bit of my own biases there because I'm <laughs> I'm looking for for some validation that his work will reinforce my worldview that sometimes it's okay to just have fun with a piece.
3: It totally
2: uh, is. <laughs> and I'm wrapping it up. I want a, just a three-point rating scale. And Where should this hang? The loo? Is this something to look at? The lab? The lab. Is this something to learn from? Or the loo? British for that? Yeah. Like, yeah. There's a the poop loo joke in there somewhere. Yeah. Oh, that's
3: terrible. I'm gonna have to say the lab. The idea that like I don't love it all, but there's things we can learn from it.
2: Yeah, I I would agree. I can I can definitely learn a lot from you know his color choices and his composition and but I think I I would actually probably put this one in the the loo just because <laughs> I I feel like I don't need to keep it around that much and and if he says there's no meaning, I'll take him at his word and say that you know it's a throwaway cultural piece that might be enjoyable but doesn't need to be studied and doesn't need to be maintained for the ages. Mm. Um, But somebody that I can learn from and should be sticking around for the ages, I want to say thank you very much, Rebecca Potts Aguirre. Thank you very (laughs) much for taking the time to join me uh, this morning. And I would encourage everybody, please listen to um, your podcast, Teaching Artist Podcast, and... uh, should we throw out all of your promotion here? You've got the, we've got dot com, and I will include links to your websites and your social media in the show notes.
3: Thank you so much, Kyle. This was great. It was a lot of fun to dig into an artist I actually didn't know a lot about before, so...
2: I always yeah. appreciate your your taking the time, your flexibility on the schedule as you have been talking about self-care and taking time for yourselves and giving yourself grace to take a break. And I, at the last minute, asked you to come join me for this <laughs> because I'm not quite ready to give myself grace and take a break and be late <laughs> on a show. So thank you yeah. so much.
3: Absolutely.